You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Anti-pipeline protests are now being met with counter-demonstrations. Today, a large show of force from the B.C. business community. Dozens of business, industry and community groups calling on the Prime Minister to take action on the impasse, arguing our economy, our economy depends on it and other investments. Ted Chernecki reports. The silent majority is silent no more. In Alberta, it might be the silent majority who want the Kinder Morgan pipeline twin, but in B.C. it's more 50-50 for and against. This afternoon in Edmonton, another hastily organized pro-pipeline rally. This is a fight about what kind of country we live in, about whether or not we believe in the rule of law, whether we are governed by our constitution, whether we believe in free trade, and whether we will, we will be a prosperous country in the future. Are you willing to fight for that future? Fighting words to be sure. About eight hours earlier in Vancouver, business leaders rallied. This too was a well-attended event that came together just hours after Kinder Morgan announced its May 31st deadline. It was unwilling to commit $7.5 billion for a new pipeline without a guarantee that it will actually be built. This really has very little to do with the energy sector. We are now at a point in the conversation that we have to be very careful that we are not sending a message to the rest of the world that Canada is closed for business because we can't govern ourselves. So we're in a very delicate spot right now. And on the other side of the debate, another march by protesters at the Kinder Morgan site in Burnaby. Three more arrests today, bringing the total now close to 200, with no signs of this crowd going anywhere. This is the first blockade since the announcement, and blockades will continue. Uh, elders have asked that we be here at least several days a week, uh, blocking uh, business as usual. Basically what we're saying is there is no business as usual for Kinder Morgan until they once and for all stand down from this proposal. Several artists were on hand to attach their work to Kinder Morgan property until they were ordered out of an injunction zone. There are more protests scheduled for Friday and Saturday. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Well, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on a summit planned for this Sunday with Premiers mm -hmm. Horgan, Notley and Prime Minister Trudeau. But Keith, doesn't sound much like B.C. is willing to bend here. I don't think all three parties are willing to bend, uh, Chris. Again, uh, the Prime Minister flying back from his 11-day uh, trip overseas, flying back from Peru, uh, is going to be meeting Sunday morning with both Notley and Horgan, who have been summoned to the Capitol to meet with him. No one's expecting any great breakthrough here. John Horgan again today met with us here at the legislature, reiterating his view that this should be uh, settled in court with a reference case B.C. wants to send to either the B.C. Supreme Court or the Court of Appeal over whether or not it can regulate part of the, uh, what comes out of that pipeline. Here's John Horgan again, seems somewhat optimistic, but not terribly so. I've been fairly clear, as you know, all week in the legislature and prior to that, we are in court uh, following the rule of law. We're developing a, a question with respect to jurisdiction that will be referred to a court in short order. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, we are issuing permits as they're requested by the proponent. And uh, I don't feel there's any need for saber rattling, for provocation or for threats. But we are where we are and I'm happy to hear what the Prime Minister and uh, perhaps Rachel Notley have to say. A slight dig at Rachel Notley there, I think, from B.C.'s Premier. Again, uh, even Bill Morneau, the finance minister, said yesterday, uh, today that he doesn't, uh, doesn't want people to get their expectations too high over some miracle breakthrough out of that meeting. But uh, I guess, as Winston Churchill once said, it's better to jaw-jaw than to war-war. And that's what they're going to be doing on Sunday. At least they're getting together in the same room and talking. Now we'll see what comes out of it. Thanks very much, Keith.
All right. More details tonight on the arrest of two Metro Vancouver area police officers on vacation in Cuba. The officers, now released but stuck in the country, were arrested in connection with an alleged assault involving a 17-year-old Ontario girl. Romina Dea reports. The arrests of two lower mainland officers on holiday in Cuba, now making headlines in that country. One officer with Vancouver Police, the other a member of Port Moody Police. Both arrested, jailed and released. Their passports confiscated. They can't leave the country. The Cuban system works like this. There are no charges until the conclusion of the investigation. And that investigation can take a long time. Global News has learned a 17-year-old tourist from Ontario came forward with allegations the VPD officer sexually assaulted her near the popular beach town of Varadero last month. The Port Moody officer, believed to be a key witness, no charges have been laid. They're just caught between a rock and a hard place. They can't leave the country because they have no passport. They are also required to remain in Cuba because the investigation has not concluded. Until the investigation concludes, they are in legal limbo. The VPD will only confirm what we already know. An officer was arrested and released. Port Moody Police verifying the same for its member, adding all allegations of misconduct are taken very seriously. Both forces refusing to do interviews. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner is monitoring this mess. The agency is waiting for more information before the commissioner decides whether he'll launch an investigation. The officers remain free in the community, but they can't leave Cuba. Their backgrounds, the seriousness of the complaint, partnered with the evidence, all factors in their release. This judge said no. No detention pending investigation. That may be telling. The VPD has sent an officer to Cuba to investigate. Sources say the alleged victim has returned to Canada. Romina Dea, Global News. A brief court appearance today for Curtis Segmoen. The Okanagan man lives on a property where police conducted a large-scale search last year after a woman's remains were found there. He has been held in custody since March. He appeared via video link today on an unrelated charge of assault, face, uh, assault causing bodily harm. That charge is connected to an incident in Maple Ridge in 2013. He'll remain in custody until his next court date on May 9th. Segmoen is also facing assault and weapons charges for incidents that occurred last year in the Okanagan. 18-year-old Vernon teen Tracy Genero is identified as the woman whose remains were found on the Sagmoan farm. No charges have been laid in connection with that discovery. While the Jerseys for Humboldt phenomenon spreads around the world, hundreds of mourners filled the Humboldt arena today, many wearing the team's colors for the first funeral in the hockey bus tragedy. Tyler Bieber was the team's play-by-play announcer. Jill Bennett has more on how he's being remembered. And the amazing outlook a survivor of the crash is sharing from his hospital bed tonight. It is the first of 16 funeral services, many being held in the very arenas and sports complexes where members of the Humboldt Broncos spent hours playing hockey. Knowing that, you know, his last call was game four and it was the triple overtime game and just knowing that that was his last call and that was probably his best call uh, kind of hits with me. 29-year-old Tyler Bieber was the play-by-play announcer traveling with the Broncos. He's being remembered for his hockey knowledge, his sense of humor and his love of coaching football and basketball. He was an amazing coach. Anybody that wanted to play played. 
He worked with them all, never singled anyone out. Uh, it was a team sport. Meanwhile, a memorial for 24-year-old Dana Bronze, who succumbed to her injuries Wednesday, continues to grow at Mount Royal University, where in 2016 she completed an advanced certificate in athletic therapy. We definitely were hoping for a miracle there, and obviously when we heard the news it was devastating, it was disappointing, especially for everybody who was close to her. With so many now struggling with how to say goodbye to those who died, there is also inspiration from one of the survivors. Ryan Strashnitsky suffered a broken back in the crash. We were on our way to Nippon for game five, I believe, and uh, I was on my phone sitting near the front, and all of a sudden the uh, bus driver yelled, whoa, and slammed on the brakes, and, and we ended up hitting the semi, and uh, kind of blacked out from there, but... However long later, I woke up laying on the road, staring back at the bus, it was severed in half. And teammates were in front of me, bloody and moaning. And I was just, I wanted to help so bad. And I just couldn't move my legs or anything. But the 18-year-old is already talking about representing Canada one day in Olympic sledge hockey. A rally in his hometown of Airdrie is being held Friday night to support the injured and pay respects to those who died. Jill Bennett, Global News. And this is amazing. The Humboldt GoFundMe page started by a mother in the community whose son plays hockey, surpassing now the $10 million mark this afternoon. 100,000 donors from 65 different countries contributing. That money will primarily be going to victims' families. It's the largest GoFundMe campaign in Canadian history. And later on the news hour, much more on the Jersey phenomenon and other ways that people are showing their support. Another fundraiser in the wake of tragedy is also garnering attention tonight. Sarah Cotton is the mother of six-year-old Chloe and four-year-old Aubrey. Sisters found murdered in Oak Bay on Christmas Day. Their father charged in connection with their deaths. With support from friends, Cotton is running the BMO Half Marathon next month and raising money for the Mary Manning Center for Child Abuse Prevention and Counseling and a scholarship fund at the girls' school. I mean, we kind of joked about it and thought, well, we should do this fundraising and, you know, maybe maybe our parents will give us some money or something like that, you know. But, uh, yeah, the response has been above and beyond anything that we can imagine, and which I think just speaks to the generosity of our community that we live in and how close of an issue this is to people's hearts and how well-loved Sarah is. And the campaign is just shy of its $20,000 goal. There are calls tonight for the federal government to investigate drug manufacturers and their role in Canada's deadly opioid crisis. More than 4,000 Canadians died from an opioid overdose last year. That's more than 1,400 here in B.C. alone. And critics say it's time drug companies are held accountable for their highly addictive products. Aaron MacArthur reports. There are plenty of people who will draw a straight line between this bottle of Oxycontin and the opioid epidemic plaguing North America. Politicians are calling on the federal government to go after Big Pharma for big bucks. Today, I'm calling on the federal government to launch a criminal investigation into the role played by drug manufacturers in fueling the opioid epidemic in Canada and to seek meaningful compensation for the public costs of this crisis. In the U.S., governments have already targeted pharmaceutical corporations for peddling highly addictive opioids to physicians and patients, saying there was little risk to the public. Almost a billion dollars has been recovered through various governments in the U.S., 
But in Canada, with the cost to the medical system skyrocketing, it's an option Don Davies says the government hasn't even considered. What message does it send to the tens of thousands of Canadians and their families who have lost a loved one to opioid overdoses when they see their authorities fail to seek justice? While drug users often come to addiction through prescription, it's not the only path. The opioid crisis, a multi-headed monster. Addiction specialists believe there's more than enough blame to go around. The truth is, I think a number of parties um, carry responsibility, and that would include uh, patients, physicians, drug companies, politicians, and the general public. Governments have tried this in the past, in the 1990s, targeting the tobacco industry for the health care costs associated with smoking. Two decades later, those lawsuits have yet to yield any results. The pharmaceutical industry has pockets just as deep. Hard to imagine a different outcome. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. BC Hydro is revisiting a controversial plan to build a substation under a school in Vancouver's West End. With aging infrastructure, Hydro says it needs to build a new substation in the West End in order to continue to provide reliable power. The proposal would see the project built on the Lord Roberts Annex site adjacent to Nelson Park. A year ago, two planned underground, underground substations in downtown Vancouver were next after the city said the process had been too rushed. As everyone knows, uh, land is really scarce and expensive in downtown Vancouver. So to buy a private piece of property, which would be a half a city block, is very expensive and very tough to find. So the idea of going underground um, and having the benefits uh, flow to BC Hydro as well as the Vancouver School Board is uh, just a, a, a great idea. BC Hydro and the Vancouver School Board will begin consultation with the West End community in May. Following consultation, the Vancouver Board of Education will make a decision in June. But first, a tragic goodbye today for the Victoria Police Department, three decades in the making. Constable Ian Jordan was involved in an on-duty accident back in 1987. That crash left him in a coma, and for 31 years he defied the odds with his survival. Kylie Stanton has more on what happened and Constable Jordan's lasting legacy. Looking at this wreckage, it's hard to believe anyone survived, let alone had the fight to hold on for another 30 years. I mean, who would have thought that he would be in a coma for this long and this period of time? Victoria Police Constable Ian Jordan died Wednesday night after spending three decades in hospital, his family and fellow officers always by his side. It's so, so important that we kept that connection with him. So one of the ways was to actually put a police scanner in his room so that you know, he would be connected to the police family and, and connected to the officers responding to calls for service, similar to what he did um, back in 1987 in that ultimate call. It was during the early hours of September 22nd when Jordan was responding to a possible break and enter downtown. As police rushed to the scene, Jordan's vehicle crashed into another cruiser. Officer Ole Jorgensen was behind the wheel. Or just like anyone else. We, the incident uh, we left him with serious injuries, but it was the emotional trauma that inspired him to create the police department's criminal incident stress management team, a peer-to-peer -peer support network assisting officers and staff after experiencing traumatic events. 
police officers put up with a lot of things in their career, but uh, when you come across something like that, then they definitely have to get some professional help. A legacy that's shown to have a lasting impact. Those teams still continue to exist today and they're, they're used much more widely than they would have been back in 1987. Through it all, Jordan has been a constant reminder of the sacrifices officers make. A funeral with full police honours is being planned. A chance for fellow officers to pay their last respects before he's finally laid to rest. Even though there's been a significant time period from the time of the incident to the time of his passing, uh, it still doesn't take away the pain. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. We are just over a week away from one of the Lower Mainland's biggest and most colorful cultural celebrations. The annual Visaki Parade brings in almost half a million people. And with them comes a lot of waste. Now, as John Hua reports, two brothers are determined to make the celebration green. Every year, nearly half a million people descend upon Surrey. A time to celebrate the Sikh culture. Not to mention stuff yourself with delicious free food. Giving is a big part of our, our culture. So you see a lot of families get together and they hand food out. But Surrey's Visaki Festival, the largest of its kind in North America, also brings out a massive amount of styrofoam destined for the landfill. Got the Visaki color there. Q Sarbjeet Singh Sabarwal, one of two brothers fighting to make their Visaki foam free. We learned a lot of the negative impacts of styrofoam does, and it just made sense that even though you spend just a little bit more money for these products, you, you're doing so much more for our environment. Despite pictures like this, there will be no banner fines, just a five year goal that's driven by educational awareness. An initiative that's fully supported by the city of Surrey. That's a huge issue. Uh, polystyrene fire, uh, styrofoam, when it enters our landfills, uh, doesn't uh, decompose. The suggested alternative using a sugarcane-based product that can be sent to Surrey's new biofuel facility, where it will be processed in just 60 days. Our goal is that, that this thing spreads on its own, and then hopefully that within a few years that you know we won't having this problem at all. The very spirit of Asaki has become about bringing people in. Only fitting that this local green initiative is already grabbing attention from around the world, including inquiries from Washington, D.C. and Sydney, Australia. They'll look at us, they'll see how did, how did an event that brings out nearly half a million people go green so quickly. So on April 21st in Surrey, Visaki will also serve up a lesson on caring for the environment. One plate of delicious food at a time. John Hua, Global News. Well, it won't be just a caffeine high on offer at some second cup coffee shops. The Canadian coffee chain announcing today it's partnering with Natural Access Cannabis to turn some of its locations into recreational marijuana dispensaries. The stores would have to acquire new licenses to allow the franchises to sell pot and pot-related products. The new stores will start in Western Canada, and then the company hopes to move east to other provinces. The struggling company saw its stocks rise after the announcement. Now, it's not clear if coffee would still be served in those converted to pot shops. Former FBI Director James Comey is blasting President Trump, saying he's untethered to truth. It's all part of his new book, A Higher Loyalty, that's set to be released next week. In it, Comey details his interactions with the U.S. president, calling his leadership ego-driven and saying the president pushed Comey for loyalty. This comes less than a year after Trump fired Comey for his handling of the Russia investigation, the investigation now headed by Robert Mueller. 
Well, the United States and Syria have been at odds over what's or and Russia have been at odds over what's happening in Syria with evident recent chemical attacks against civilians are carried out by the Russian-backed Assad regime. But what the U.S. is planning to do about it is in question tonight, with the president tweeting today that an attack could take place very soon or not soon at all. A White House huddled tonight. President Trump's top advisors in and out to talk next steps in Syria behind closed doors. Now we have to make some further decisions, so they'll be made fairly soon. The president presented with multiple military options. U.S. officials say those range from targeted tomahawk strikes on Syrian sites, similar to last year's, to something more wide-ranging, like a sustained campaign aimed at affecting military operations and multiple targets. Any action, retaliation against the Assad regime for yet another suspected chemical weapons attack that killed dozens of Syrian civilians, even children. U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley with NBC's Andrea Mitchell. We definitely have enough proof, but now we just have to be thoughtful in our reaction. Tonight, NBC News has learned of new evidence that shows both chlorine gas and a nerve agent in samples taken from victims, according to two U.S. officials familiar with the intelligence. One source tells NBC News the U.S. government is confident the Syrian dictator was behind the horrific attack. Our strategy is to engage by, with, and through allies in all things we do. Those Allies include France and the U.K., where Prime Minister Theresa May called her cabinet back to town for an emergency meeting, agreeing on action to deter Assad. President Emmanuel Macron says he has proof the Syrian dictator did go after his own people. Any strike might be imminent, or it might be a while. At least that's what President Trump is suggesting. After seeming to telegraph his military moves just yesterday, now trying to re-inject the element of surprise, tweeting coyly, could be very soon or not so soon at all. Montana Kenny from Austin, Texas, has broken a record for reaching a peak no girl her age has reached before. And I wanted to be up there since I knew it was above the clouds. <laughs> the seven-year-old climbed Mount Kilimanjaro to honor her father, who died when she was three. Both she and her mother endured constant rain and snow. And in the end, Montana's climb broke a world record. She's now the youngest girl ever to summit Africa's highest peak. Well, the upcoming Dota 2 competition in Vancouver is proof that teenage dreams can come true. Being paid to play video games. Competitive gaming now packs arenas. And tonight, the story of one young gamer who recently signed a professional contract for a lot more than most adults make. It feels like a big-time sporting event, but the gladiators inside this packed arena play video games. What a big hole! This is a professional league devoted to a team-based action game called Overwatch. It's only natural when millions of people have a hobby uh, that they want to know who's the best in the world. On this night, all eyes are on a teenage rookie making his debut, Jay Wan, nicknamed Sinatra. It's been my dream since I was like 12, basically. Mom Michaela tolerated his obsession with video games as long as he got B's in school. So you never threw the Xbox away? Uh, I did once. <laughs> he did something bad in school, so I, I threw it away. With the dexterity of a champion speed typist, Sinatra became the esports version of a top draft pick. You know, it gives you like an ego, which you kind of want. You want to be like 
cocky a little bit, but not like too cocky. After a bidding war, he just signed with the San Francisco Shock for $150,000 a season. He makes way more money than me, you know what I mean? But he couldn't start playing until he turned 18. His first game, a hard-fought battle that ended with a tough loss. But leave it to mom to remind him it's not game over. It's just the beginning. You're awesome. Joe Fryer, NBC News, Burbank, California. In Health Matters tonight, Health Canada is warning the shortage of EpiPens is going to get worse before it gets better. The pins administer an emergency treatment of adrenaline to patients at risk of life-threatening allergic reactions. Pfizer, the company that makes the injectors, already has a shortage of the 0.3 milligram injectors and now says it's running short on EpiPen Junior 0.15 milligram injectors too. It blames delays at its manufacturing facility. Check with your doctor or your pharmacy to confirm availability. Sometimes a familiar smell can be all the comfort you need. That's the idea behind tender loving care cloths at an Alberta children's hospital. Staff have been sewing them for babies recovering in the intensive care unit and their parents. But when they ran out of material, a post on social media was all the help they needed. When Nicole McLeod has to leave baby Oliver for a while, her heart stays with him. The claws really provide this opportunity for you to leave a piece of yourself um, with your baby. The Stollery neonatal ICU's tender loving care cloths smell like mom or dad. And so the idea is that one of the parents wear the cloth on their body or sleep with it on their pillow at night so that they're giving their scent to their baby. Research shows that scent can not only increase baby's parental bonding, it can improve their development, even help manage pain. So if they have to go through a procedure, just smelling their parent can soothe them. Plus, smelling her child's cloth can stimulate a mother's milk production. Other benefits of this initiative go beyond the hospital. When I brought the project up, they, they were like, aww. Stullery staff had been sewing the cloths themselves, but had run out of material. When they posted a request on social media, this junior high fashion class volunteered their services. Instead of making like a stuffed animal or something for ourselves, we could make a heart. And just helping out like babies is just a really good cause. This simple project teaches students about top stitching, curved seams, and more important things. They've learned a lot in terms of compassion and empathy. Lessons this mom appreciates. She says it's been nice to be able to choose something cute for Oliver in this not-so-cute environment. He was born 10 weeks early and hasn't been able to go home yet. Everyone wants to be able to do the best that they can for their baby, and it's something that you could do. So, yeah, I think it's a great program. A helpless puppy stuck in the center of this car wheel and the effort to free it coming up right after the forecast. Oh, my goodness, the poor thing. (laughs) No. All right, let's check in with uh, Christy for that forecast. Just before we get to that, you are wearing your jersey for Humboldt. Of course, of course. And you're kind of invisible in parts of you. That's right. (laughs) So part of the jersey, of course, is green. Oh, yeah, the green screen. That's what makes it see-through. So you can see the car through my arm, everyone. (laughs) 
Uh, so, yes, if you see it a little bit see-through, if, if I seem see-through, that is uh, correct. All right, we had a hailstorm today in Surrey. That was uh, earlier in the day. That hailstorm also made its way into the Coquitlam area. You can see these dark, flat-bottom clouds, and those are what brought in those thunderstorms. But in between that, some beautiful sunshine today, this sun shower from Nanaimo. Uh, that's a perfect weather, actually, to be looking out for rainbows, by the way. So a bit of everything today, for sure, but now we're in for rain, everyone. It will develop overnight. Some areas could see up to 40 millimeters, and boy, is it going to be windy. We are expecting uh, winds gusting up to 90 kilometers an hour. This is mainly north of Nanaimo, so from around Nanus Bay all the way up into areas like Campbell River, and then extending over to the Sunshine Coast, mainly those northern regions as well. So gusts up to 90K, and that's uh, developing through the early morning hours, continuing through the day. It will also be windy across these southern regions as well. Well, but not warning criteria. So 60K, maybe a little bit uh, stronger than that, but generally gusty and through that area. So watch for power outages and certainly delays in the ferries, especially if you're in those areas further north. There's your forecast for tomorrow. So wet and windy along the north coast as well. With this type of pattern, those of you, lucky you, in the interior tend to get a bit of a rain shadow effect. So you'll see some nice sunny breaks, but it will pick up steam as it heads towards the, the Rockies once again. So the Columbia area expecting mainly cloudy skies with uh, periods of rain. South coast wind and rain for tomorrow. Staying cool in areas like Vancouver with highs of only 10 degrees. And for your weekend, everyone, we are still expecting unsettled weather with scattered showers. And a reminder, Whitecaps play tomorrow night. And I'll leave you with some great photos, of course. Uh, Humboldt uh, strong or jerseys for Humboldt uh, extending into the younger generation as well from West Vancouver. And these are John Hua's little guys. Are they not adorable? Love They've been getting a lot of airtime on the news now. <laughs> the twins. It's now the yeah. other twins in Canuck, Jersey. That's right. And there's Jordan and Brayden as well. Oh, so nice. cute. Okay. Sib- it was Siblings Day this week, too, right? It was. That's yeah, great. Good. All right. Now back to that uh, puppy rescue in Texas. Hold on. Yeah, you can probably hear the whimpering there a little bit. Poor little guy got his head stuck in the center of a car wheel. Firefighters first attempted to free the dog using oil. Then, as you can see, the jaws of life. After much effort, they eventually were able to twist the puppy out. Thankfully, the little guy was just fine. Whitecaps rolling out some new scarves. I'm going to break out the jersey for the end of the show. That's a good idea. In the microphone and stuff. Good idea. Okay. Uh, the Whitecaps have a Friday night game against the other L.A. team. Not the Galaxy, the new MLS team from L.A., LAFC. Will Farrell owns a piece of this team. Actually, they have a lot of owners. He's one of them. Tony Robbins also owns a piece, which means they should be the most motivated team in the league. The uh, Whitecaps are back home. They've played four of their last five in the road. One of the things we have seen early this season is the continued maturation of Alfonso Davies, a 17-year-old who was even better than he was last year. Here's Christian Tachero away down the right. Davies screaming for a back post. It's Davies! Now that Alfonso Davies has his first MLS goal, he seems poised to add a lot more in his second full season with the Whitecaps. Davies' speed and skill set led to plenty of chances that he just wasn't able to finish his first season and a half, but teammates have noticed a change already this season. 
I think he's matured a lot. You know, last year you can still tell he's kind of, you know, a 16-year-old. Um, this year he came in, he was a little more serious, and um, he's really working on his little aspects that he needs to perfect, and you're seeing it out on the field. He's playing great right now. He's taking guys on. He's playing free, and that's the most important part for him. The White Caps, and especially Carl Robinson, have been very protective of their young phenom. They monitor his media time and try to mute expectations on this teenager, which were accelerated when Davies scored three spectacular goals for Canada last summer at the Gold Cup. Robinson is taking a very measured approach to get this young star in the making to reach his potential. I can tell him what to do, but he's got to learn to make mistakes. And I've got to allow him to make those mistakes for me to teach those moments for him. Uh, if I try and guide him all the way without him actually failing, then he's never going to learn. So it's a tricky one because uh, you have to allow him to fail then to, to learn and, and succeed from that. But you don't want him to fail too many times because then the confidence levels drop and things like that. There doesn't seem to be too much danger of that. Davies' poise and skill on this goal that was called back by a handball is evidence the kid is ready to take a big step forward. Even he feels another level of confidence on the ball. You know, trying to exploit the spaces out wide, you know, take on my defender one-on-one, you know, get crosses in the box for my strikers, my midfielders, my other wingers. So I think overall, I think I'm doing that pretty well. At just 17, Davies is still finding his way. He's learning from his mistakes, like this red card for stomping an opponent last fall when playing for Canada. But to a man, his teammates feel Davies will be a difference maker in 2018. We've just seen the tip of the iceberg from him. There's so much more to come. We see it every day because we train with him. But uh, you know, he's an exciting player and will continue to be exciting for his career. The ball skipped up and hit an arm. Elias Pettersson is not the only Swedish prospect for the Vancouver Canucks. Don't forget about Jonathan Dahlin. He's the guy they got from Ottawa in the Alex Burroughs trade. He left his Swedish team. Their playoffs are over. He has now joined the Canucks farm team, the Utica Comets, for the end of the American Hockey League regular season, and the playoffs, the Comets are in the playoffs. Speaking of which, Nikolai Godolbin is back in Utica to help out in the playoffs, as is former Kelowna Rocket star Cole Lind. Everybody in the hockey family getting behind Humboldt. Bruins Leafs, Brad Marchand. I know, not a favorite of Canuck fans. one nothing for Boston. Look at this goal here. A lot of speed in this series. Zach Hyman gets to the puck, fights everyone off, scores. That tied at 1-1. And the Leaf fans are in the streets. David Pasternak doesn't get that one to go. Marshawn gets it back to him. Never give him a second chance. That made it 3-1. I want to show you one more goal. You see the score there. But look at this goal. Pasternak coming home. Can't score. Good hand-eye by Sean Corrali. Wait, wait. There you go. Knocks it in. Leafs ran into penalty trouble in the third Bruins win. Game 1-5-1. Devils Lightning. Andre Palat. Palat. And he gets the pass back. Scores. Tyler Johnson with the pass to him. Now let's go the other way. This, hey, the astronauts, look at that. Buzz Aldrin's there. Uh, then Palat to Tyler Johnson. So just the opposite. 3-2, third period. Tampa Bay leading. Blue Jackets, Capitals. Philip Grubauer getting the start over Braden Holtby. This is a five-minute penalty. Josh Anderson hitting Michael Kempney from behind. Two power play goals on the five-minute penalty, both from the same guy of Jenny Kuznetsov. This is his second one, 2-0. 
but then the uh, Blue Jackets made it 2-1, and then look who scored a power play goal for them. He's leaning on his stick. Not Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's Thomas Vanek on his knees, but uh, Washington is retaking the lead 3-2 in the third period. Well, you could say it was the uniform of the day. Everywhere you went, you likely saw a lot of people wearing jerseys today. We were wearing ours earlier today Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. The jerseys for Humboldt campaign in support of the bus crash victims, letting them know they're not alone. And it's not the only sign of solidarity. Jennifer Palma is in Richmond tonight where a street hockey game is underway. Jen? Absolutely. Can you see them behind me? There's three associations here, two boys and one girls team. And they're aging in range from four to about 17 or 18 years of age. I'm told they're having a great time. And they all have their jerseys on. And they're not the only ones around Canada and around the world. Everyone was wearing their jerseys for Humboldt today. So many coming so quickly, I can't even keep up. The show of support is overwhelming. University of Alberta. Shout out to them, University of Toronto. Across Canada and around the world, people are showing their love to the humble Broncos on social media. It's 16 lives in one moment that have ended. A tragedy a group of hockey mums in Langley can't understand, but wanted to show support for the victims of the humble Broncos bus crash. So they created hashtag jerseys for Humboldt. When the victims and the survivors were able to get out of their tragedy come out and see that, you know, while they were in this really, really dark moment, there was light and there was love and there was compassion. Social media has been buzzing all day with photos and messages coming from as far as China, Dubai, New Zealand, and of course here at home, as Canadians put on a jersey of any sports team, from those who love the game to kids fundraising for the Broncos at school, even police forces responding to the mom's jersey request. And I think that Anybody who, who's had a son or a relative or somebody that's traveled in sports, this is really hitting. At the Pacific International Cup in Richmond, the Cloverdale team put on a Bronco sign. I mean, we can't even imagine what these families are going through. If you don't have a jersey, Vancouver's Sweet Nothing Bakery offers an alternative way to show support. All of our coffee proceeds will be donated to the team. We've also created a yellow milk latte. The hashtag jerseys for Humboldt is trending and it means a lot to the Broncos who tweeted, we see you, we hear you, we love you, we are all hashtag Humboldt strong. There's nothing one person can do, but as a whole, we can band together and form a circle. One team come together to support their team. And Caleb Dahlgren, who is on the Broncos and recovering in hospital, tweeted this out today, basically thanking the community at large, everyone that has supported the team, either by wearing a jersey today or by donating. As you know, the GoFundMe page is doing amazingly well to support everyone. Meanwhile, back here in Richmond, we are in Steveston. They are having a fabulous time enjoying hockey on the street. They're trying to bring a little bit of fun back to hockey they're telling me today canadiana canadiana at its finest thank you very much jen and so great to see uh, caleb dahlgren with that big smile on his face as well and uh these two of course wearing their jerseys right now and as i said the whole station got a photo out front of the station today of all of us wearing our jerseys. that's right where are you right Right in in front front. i'm up and back by the post 
Squire and, and Christy missed the photo op. I, but, but, I, but they're here seconds. right now. By only they're a couple of seconds. Right I saw you sprinting through the lobby <laughs> just as we were coming back in. But, uh, yeah, we wore them all day, and we're really proud to have done that. Now, one final farewell to Bob Benson. Mm-hmm. Retiring from here as floor manager, prompter operator, audio operator, one of the nicest, nicest guys you'll ever meet. And can do them. everything. There he is with a microphone, a headset in hand, and he's taken such good care of us over the years. We're going to miss you, Bob. Is that a gold Love headset? you, Bob. Enjoy retirement. See you on the boat. <laughs> Have fun in Campbell River.